a Lifetime original podcast. Can we talk about one of the Nicki Minaj's best lyrics ever? <laughs> Go ahead. Yeah, airplanes and nice guys like shooting stars. We well, gonna really need a wish right now when my goons come through and start shooting stars. You know, I'm all about shoes and cars. I'm kind of drunk on a booze Bugatti. I told baby when I get my new advance, my brother motherfucker on a blue Bugatti. You know, I graduated summa cum laude. I'm thinking I'm aluminum. Have you seen that clip online where they, where they go, are you a Nicki fan? She goes, am I yes. a Nicki fan? Am I a Nicki fan? <laughs> Pull up in the Sri Lanka, what? What? Welcome to The Table is Ours, the podcast where we talk about all things black. Mm -hmm. And since it's Black History Month, y'all, we blackity black, black, (laughs) black this month. We're talking about black entertainment, black pride, and of course, black shine. Mm -hmm. With me today is my dazzling, radiant, fabulous co-host, Miss Amira Lawali. Hey, y'all. And if Amira were a live performer, of course she would be the thing that I've been trying to get her back to. Oh my gosh. I'm a stand-up comedian. <laughs> you are a stand-up comediana, okay? I feel called out. You are you are correct. This is easy. Yeah. It's so bad. I haven't done stand-up in two years. And you're right. Like, I, I need to get on that. We're talking about black shine, black joy, and I think getting back into stand-up comedy would bring you some joy. It would make me so happy. Yes. You're right. Maybe that's what's been missing. You know what? I manifest this for you today. Okay, sis. I appreciate that. Okay, thank you. You're welcome. But y'all already know <laughs> who this is. My astonishing co-host, Kirby Dixon. Hello. Now, if Kirby were a live performer, <laughs> and I'm, I'm going to say something that she doesn't expect from me, and I'll tell you why. Uh-oh. She would be a magician. A magician? I didn't want to say dancer. I didn't want to say dancer. I say magician because I think that you are full of surprises. You can pull things out of hats. You have a great stage energy. And you're like a secret winner. You know how the magicians always like secretly win America's Got Talent? Like you're like, mm-hmm. mm, you, take it, you take it away from the home team. Like you're like, mm, I got this. So you not the active magicianery, whatever. So not Houdini. No, no, no. I think your spirit has magic. And that is why I think you're a magician. So I'm a witch. I mean, if you want to get a little, a little witchy. <laughs> a little, a little, a little no, potion-y. I take that. I take that. If I could have some magic powers, I would use it all the time. Yeah. Twitch me. Twitches. Twitches. Twitch me now. Give me twitches. Okay? Twitches energy. Give me Marnie from Halloween Town. Give me Marnie. Give me T and Tamara in Twitches. Mm. Marnie was the it girl. Give it all to me, okay? Give me, give me... Matilda energy. I love Matilda. Yes. Give me the Matilda energy. I appreciate you, sis. I will take being a magician. Mm -hmm. Appreciate it. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, you know what? Okay. Let me ask you, Amira, how did you get into stand-up comedy as a hobby? Oh, my gosh. What what pushed you to do that? Oh, my gosh. I, here's the thing. I thought about it for a while. And I'm one of those people who I thought I was funny for years, and all my exes never thought I was funny. And it would make me so mad because I was like, I'm hilarious in my head. That's why your exes are your exes. You're right. (laughs) So anyway, like for years, I was like, you know what? I should do this. And once I moved to New York, I was like, why not? And my first year, I was like, I don't have any friends. I don't have anyone to embarrass myself in front of. It's totally fine. So like I wrote, I went to a few shows and I was like, I'm funnier than them. Ah, 
would love it. And look, stand-up is hard, okay? So I get it, but I was like, immediately, I was like, I'm funnier than you. Like, I, I know my <laughs> jokes would at least hit harder than that. And if you can do it, I can do it. I feel like the thing that I love about your stand-up is it's, like, very relatable no matter who you are. So normally I would think that you would be blackity, black, black, black. But your stand-up is very uh, universal, girl. You know how to make all the people laugh for you. Or laugh at you. Laugh at me. One or the other. (laughs) I think the things I stay in are race, sexuality, and how they drive politics, right? So Mm -hmm. there are some, like, big, like, racial lanes. But I think it's so awkward and quirky that everyone's like, oh, I've been there. Yeah. I need to do more stand-up. <laughs> but I'm wondering. I'm wondering because, Kirby, you are so... I'm trying to... Ridiculous? No, animated? Well, yeah. Passionate theatrical? <laughs> like, did you ever, like, try acting, improv? Like, was that ever your lane to get into this um, industry instead? Because I could see it. Absolutely not. What? Never. Why? I'm very shy. Okay. I am very, like in my head and every I'm a perfectionist by nature which is something I'm trying to work on because perfect does not exist yeah <laughs> um definitely I danced for a very long time before I got into sports so Told, do you see ballet it? jazz all that stuff she's a professional dancer she always acts like she's not she has a professional singer but I would get the worst oh my god the worst nerves the worst bubble guts before going on stage really it was bad I, I have thought about acting once or twice in my life, <laughs> but I never put the the wheels in motion to see if I could actually do it. Maybe that'll be my new 2022 hobby. Honestly, I think that's what I miss most about being in New York all the time. It's just like, I would go to so many shows. Mm-hmm. Like whether I was doing open mic or not, just like see improv shows and they were like cheap to see and you would see different celebrities and big names there just working out their craft. And I... I miss that so much. Yeah. I agree. There's so much talent walking around New York City from even the Showtime people that are so annoying on the on the subways. Yeah. Y'all got it because that is a talent. <laughs> hey folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF podcast and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. You know who is a great, a great live performer? Girl. Perfection. Girl. Was born for the stage. Born for the stage. Our guest this week, Bob the Drag Queen. That's right. Bob is an American drag queen, comedian, activist, and reality television personality. They are best known for winning the eighth season. Hold on, y'all. We gotta gotta emphasize (laughs) winning. The eighth season (laughs) of RuPaul's Drag Race. And they were placed eighth out of 100 on New York Magazine's most powerful drag queens in America. Since then, Bob has been seen on television shows such as High Maintenance, A Black Lady Sketch Show, and co-hosts the drag reality show We're Here with a new season out now on HBO. We spoke with Bob about their journey into drag, from growing up in the club scene to their new life in the limelight. 
Plus, they share their feelings on relationships and what polyamory really means to them. Bob the Drag Queen, let's get it. trying to like calm my hype down we are very excited to speak with you today yeah oh well thank you i'm very excited to be here this is this is a privilege and i'm excited to be in your presence and thank you so much for having me the feeling is so mutual very mutual we know that you recently had surgery on your vocal cords yeah so one how are you we hope you're well we hope you're healing well and on that what has joy looked like for you post-surgery hopefully healthy yeah, so I'm, I'm well. Thank you for asking. You know, it's it's a pretty um I don't know that I can call it minimally invasive. They, they they do put you under for it and put a breathing tube down your throat because they're working in your throat. You know what I mean on your vocal cords. For me, it was I mean it, it's an elective surgery, so I could have just gone you know with my voice the way it was, but I was I was losing my voice a lot, which is pretty bad for a performer. You want to keep your voice, so it feels pretty good. I'm glad I can talk again. I was not talking for three weeks, which was pretty tough, and I was taking it easy for like another two weeks. And I'm still taking it easy a little bit. Like I haven't yelled in a very long time or like <laughs> like hooted or hollered or like screamed or like any of that in like almost like three months now. Mm. Yeah. That's so interesting. I didn't even think about how often we like kind of change the octaves of our voices, the screaming, the laughter. So I can only imagine. I can't sing along in the car anymore. Like I, oh. can't, I can't sing with the music. So for right now, I'm just taking it really easy, you know? Or if you go to like, if you go out, you have to get really close to someone's ear to talk to them because you don't want to like, you know, you can't scream. And what does joy look like for me? Um, I guess for in this moment, it, it was definitely being able to talk again, mm-hmm. you know, still hanging out with my loved ones and my friends and I've been able to see my family. So that's been a lot of my joy lately. We love that. Can you tell me a little bit about growing up with the name Kirby? <laughs> So my claim to fame with Kirby is, okay, it depends on the gen. It's like a generational thing. Mm-hmm. If you're older, I normally is like, oh, like the vacuum cleaner. Cool. Oh, Kirby Puckett, the baseball player. Cool. I've heard oh, that before. That. But the good thing for me is that most people without seeing me always think I am a man. And I've used that to my advantage more times than I'd like to admit. <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. My, my mom used to use her, um, her, only her initials, very R.L. Stein. Very um, J.R.R. Tolkien. Yeah. Whenever she would go out for jobs and stuff. So her resume just said, like, her her first initial and then her last name. See? No one ever mentions the video game, ever? I mean, younger kids, yeah. Not not younger kids, but younger folks. I was yes. about to say, because always... they're that young. <laughs> Kirby is, like, from the 80s, honey. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. Typically, it's like, oh, my God, like, the video game. And I'm like, yeah. But it's, like, such a weird thing. It's, like, a big pink puffball that sucks up air and sucks up their enemies well there's a whole there's a whole thing about kirby online because kirby kirby's basically this like indestructible ball that kind of can do literally anything like kirby's a god kirby can swallow anything and like take on the qualities of whatever it swallows um kirby (laughs) is uh i believe kind of agender Mm -hmm. and is kind of like unstoppable this like just a happy ball that just floats to the sky it's really interesting Kirby the God. I like that. Thank you. (laughs) But speaking of which, you mentioned your mother. And one thing that we found really, really powerful was that at an early age, you have always been kind of this confident force because of all the love that your mom instilled within you. Like Mm -hmm. she made it so that you were indestructible in a sense like Kirby, right? And could do (laughs) anything that you put your mind to. So wanted to know kind of where does your confidence come from now and if all of the fame and the popularity that you have now has ever kind of been taken a blow to your confidence as you've gotten older. 
You know, so uh, where does it come from? I think it just like like you said, it comes from um, being told frequently and and very often and and very emphatically that I am really talented and really uh, phenomenal and that I can do a lot of things. Then I also believe that it didn't feel like uh, just a mom saying it. Like I was also able to luckily enough to receive accolades from school and from work, especially in, in terms of being funny. People just, I've always been told that I was very funny. Mm-hmm. So I've always felt really confident in that regard. And yeah, there have certainly been moments. I, I'm not, I'm, I don't want to send out a notion to the world that I'm one of those folks who's just blindly confident all the time. And I never have, like, there are times where I'm like really down on myself or feeling not good about myself or feeling maybe it's, and sometimes it's from a lack of preparation. Sometimes it's from the people on the lineup with me, mm-hmm. or I could have just seen a particularly brilliant stand up show and thinking to myself, well, I'm not doing that. So I must not be doing well. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Right. You know what I mean? I've been kind of dabbling back and forth with not reading the comments lately because I've always loved reading the comments. I really have learned in my life to take what people say about me with a grain of salt. Oh, yes. That's also not just a bad thing. That's also compliments too. You can you cannot thrive off of compliments. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You can't you can't thrive because someone says something nice about you. When you're a reality TV star, you kind of have this really interesting relationship with your fans. Mm-hmm. And I know mm-hmm. some of my friends who are reality TV stars as well say stuff like, oh my God, without my fans, I would be nothing. And I say to myself, like, is that really how you feel? Like, do you feel like when you didn't have fans, you were nothing? Mm-hmm. Do you feel like people right. Do you feel like people who don't have fans are nothing? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, you can't, your worth can't be based on how many people like you. Oh, wow. Oh, my God. That's a word. Yeah. Yeah. I want to know, are words of affirmation one of your love languages? I love words of affirmation. but I was just going to say that. But I try not to give them too much power because there, there was a moment in my life where I realized, you know what happened? It's something about living in New York City. I used to be a really big people pleaser, which is why I love words of affirmation. I was, like, really into people pleasing. Mm-hmm. Something about living in New York City for too long just really made me, to put it shortly, care less what people thought about me oh yeah like Mm -hmm. it's it's nice that you like me but i'm not thriving off of that like that's not my existence that's not my life and if you don't like me i think i'll be fine too you know i certainly appreciate that you like me but i know that i'm happy with what i'm putting out i'm happy with the work i'm doing and i'm happy with the person that i am and if i'm not then i'll deal with you know not being happy with my actions and i'll try to make amends if i need to yeah new york Mm -hmm. will do that to you yeah for sure (laughs) what's bad is that i because new york has trained me not to like care what other people think it has also trained me to keep moving faster and like move past my wins because I, yeah. like, I don't have time mm-hmm. to hear it like I don't even celebrate anything so I'm just like okay I'm 10 miles ahead because that's the speed of the city right yeah I, New York City has hardened me in, in the most lovely of ways mm-hmm. it, it made me more self-assured mm-hmm. what was your first introduction into the drag world for us you're such like an icon oh. as for drag for New York for drag period but especially specifically mm-hmm. drag New York so what was your first introduction to the drag world? Well, to be actually be in it for real was um, I was at home. I had seen Drag Race on TV and I wanted to get out into the actual drag world. So I Googled drag, like where did you drag in New York City? Like drag competitions. And there was this drag queen named Shaquita hosting a competition at a bar called Barracuda in Chelsea. So I went down to go see Shaquita Barracuda and I walked up and I said, hi, Shaquita. My name's Kitten with a Whip. At the time, my name was Kitten with a Whip. <laughs> I said, hi, my name's Kitten with a Whip and I want to compete tonight. And then the drag queen said to me, my name's not Shaquita. My name is Peppermint. Shaquita, ah! <laughs> Shaquita got fired like a week ago. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> but the poster still had Shaquita on it. So I walked up and I was like, hi, I saw a black drag queen with blonde hair. And I was like, she looks a little different, but you know, Photoshop and right. stuff. Yeah, sure. right. Hi. She was like, yeah, my name's Peppermint. 
and then I started competing in the in the shows. So that was my first time like, actually being in the New York City nightlife scene. I remember going to a bar called Luscious, Lush. It was like Lush or Luscious Lounge in Astoria, which is now closed. And the first drag queen I actually met before I was doing drag was her name was um, Blackie O Nasty. Wow, mm. was the drag queen <laughs> that I met. She was uh, standing outside. And like, I just like, is there a show in here? And she's like, yeah. And I was like, oh my God, I can't believe I'm like actually going to a drag show. So she's the first drag queen I actually like met. And the first drag queen I met when I was in drag was Peppermint. Oh. Wow. We actually talked to Peppermint yeah. not too long ago. Yeah. 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 She's an icon. Such she's an, icon. an icon. Yeah. You too. You guys both are. Yeah, for sure. But you grew up, your mom owned a drag club too as well, right? Yeah. It's called Sensations. Yeah. My mother did too as well on a drag, a drag <laughs> bar called Sensations in Columbus, Georgia. Mm-hmm. It was my mom and a, and a bunch of lesbians opened up this bar together, you know? What was that like? What was growing up in that atmosphere like for you? Well, I grew up around like lots of queer people. I mean, my mom's queer, my uncle's queer, my mom's friends were all queer. My mom played softball. She was like that kind of queer. So, but, so to me, it felt pretty standard. Like it, it didn't feel at all odd to me, you know? Okay. So you are now in LA, correct? Yes, I'm in sunny Hollywood. <laughs> yeah. What was that transition like going from the New York scene to the LA scene? Okay, it's not fair to say that I'm part of the L.A. scene. I am a drag queen and I live in L.A., but I am not part of the L.A. scene. That's a great distinction. I've done Mickey's like twice in my life. I've never performed at any other L.A. bar. I I know some queens who live from L.A. because a lot of them are my friends, but I am not an integral part of the Los Angeles scene. Some of my favorite queens are, you know, Jackie Beat, Godoy, Sherry Vine, uh, Cornbread, Marta Bichu are some really great queens here in LA, but I definitely am just a, a drag queen who lives in LA. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I yeah. really, even though I don't live in New York City, I still consider myself part of the New York scene. Like I just went back to New York City recently for a gig and I went back to every bar and it felt like I had never left. They were like, oh my God, Bob, right. hi, right this way. We have a table right for you. Thank you so much. Yeah. <laughs> yes. I mean, you, you know, you're part of the New York scene because even the straight bouncers know who you are. Yeah. Right. Like when, when even the straight bouncers are like, Bob, I'm like, eh. <laughs> like I'm home. I'm home. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> What was your move to L.A. like? Because if you are of New York and, like, build your career there, that move to L.A. could be, like, very spicy. Yeah, you know, all of your, first of all, all of your New York City friends will give you shit. That's part, that's Mm -hmm. Part of being in New York City is, part of being a New Yorker is specifically having animosity toward New Jersey. Oh, yeah. And Los Angeles. Yeah. Um, yes. To be honest, what you feel toward New Jersey is less animosity and it's more you feel bad for New Jersey. <laughs> you feel bad for people who live in New Jersey. When someone says they live in New Jersey, it's kind of like, oh, I didn't know I was better than you. <laughs> it's it's kind of like the way iPhone users look at people with Androids. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's how you look at people who live in New Jersey. And people who live in L.A., the, the New York, like the thing is, like, there's nothing wrong with L.A., but New Yorkers just inherently hate it. Yeah. I don't know why. And L.A. people are kind of, like, apathetic toward, toward New Yorkers. <laughs> They're like, oh, hey, girl, New York, sure, how you doing? <laughs> right. Like, I, have, I have not thought about y'all twice today. And New Yorkers are like, what are they saying about it? Yeah. <laughs> are they talking yes? Yeah. Like, screw yeah. them Such and their good weather. Yeah, they don't yeah, work York, hard. I mean, specifically Brooklyn. There are two places in the world that people are the most proud to be from are Texas and Brooklyn. And they are really strange Speak about it. Speak on people, it. People from Texas are like, I'm from Texas. Like, You're I'm right. not from. You're right. Yeah, I'm like, this is but wild, y'all. It's just, you. I'm like, it's just Texas. I did it. Okay, but it's not our fault. 
what I realized when I left, like it's, it's ingrained. Like we're taught from like fourth grade that we can leave the country. We have our, we say the pledge to a separate Texas flag. If we want it, we could succeed we and be our own leave. nation. We it's like, exactly. but you won't, but you won't. And then we have, and you have Beyonce. <laughs> so you have that so. like really like super radical. And then you have Beyonce. So you're like, you know what? No one can tell me that we're just not. <laughs> and then our state could literally eat half of the other states in this country. Like your state is so small that they kind of told me in middle school that your state don't matter. Like, what is Maine? Why are you here? Float away. But I mean, the thing, I mean, Rhode Island is really tiny, but the thing is like, California is really huge, but California just don't act like that. Like California runs up and down almost the entirety of the West coast. Alaska is humongous, (laughs) but they just kind of like, California is is not only bigger than Texas, it has more people than Texas, but they just kind of don't act like Texans do. And it's the same with with, um, New York city. People from Manhattan do not act like folks from Brooklyn. They really don't from Brooklyn are like, being raised in Brooklyn is like this weird badge of honor. And I think it's a part of like, <laughs> you know, they have Biggie and they have, you know, um, Erica Badu and they have um, a little Kim. Yeah. And even though Queens has its claim to fame with like Ms. Minaj and stuff, mm-hmm. they're just, it's just not the same as being from Brooklyn or living in <laughs> Brooklyn. Yeah, you're right. Um, and I was, I lived in New York City for 12 years. I never lived in Brooklyn. I barely set foot in Brooklyn. Okay, why do you always do that? No one ever came down to Brooklyn. I could never get Kirby to Brooklyn, but was I in was I in Harlem every weekend? Yes, because it was a weekend trip. Like <laughs> that's the funny thing about New York City too. Everyone in Brooklyn is like bragging about how great it is. The folks in Manhattan are like, we don't think about Brooklyn. <laughs> exactly. And they're like, girl, don't, ain't nobody thinking about Brooklyn. I would go there to brunch and then come right back up to Harlem. No worries. <laughs> no one ever yeah, did. Like, I was like, we're like, we live in Manhattan. I lived. Yes. I lived on the um. I lived in the Upper West Side for like seven years, and I lived in Washington Heights for three years. But I also lived in Queen. I lived in Long Island City. I lived in Ozone Park. I lived in Woodside. That was like three years altogether. But yeah, Brooklyn and Texas are a trip, honey. And I'm from Atlanta. Oh. So, you know, that's, a, I mean, there's, there's a, like Atlanta pride, but Georgia pride is not like that Texas stuff. It's a whole different thing. It is. We drink the Kool-Aid. Everyone points it out. There's something in the water. I don't know what it is. Texas has been embarrassing me lately, but I can't ever talk bad about it. But it's fine. It's fine. <laughs> it is an indoctrination thing. And I've, I've been unlearning my extreme pride in being American. And I didn't really get it until I started traveling abroad and I realized that saying you're from America is not the flex you think it is. Like I used to be like, I'm about to, I'm about to shut this place down. Watch this, watch this, everyone. I'm from America. <laughs> because I started traveling when I started really traveling when Donald Trump became president. I was gonna say there was a difference. There's a pride that came with saying you were American when Obama was in office, or anyone not Trump (laughs) was in the office. But now it's kind of like, ooh, you're from America. I feel bad. I'm like, I'm from New York. They're like, so what's up with Trump? And I'm like, you know, touche. Fair fair point. Good point. You made a point. Points were made. So that's why you have to say, like, I'm from L.A. I, like, I'm, I live in L.A. Or I'm from New York. And it totally changes the the feeling in this way. Yeah. We do want to shift you a little bit. And as outsiders kind of looking in, it seems like there is this whole ch- hustle culture that surrounds this idea of success. No, let's, in- let's coin the phrase culture. It is hustle <laughs> culture. Culture is now hustle culture. Culture. <laughs> there you go. That's what Bob said. <laughs> but the culture. <laughs> surrounding success in the drag world and you like hearing your story going from 
all of these different cities, right? But even specifically New York to LA to Atlanta, all of these things. What did that period of hustle look like for you and how did you handle it all? So, I mean, there's really two big hustle moments for me, which is like rising to the top of the New York City scene. I'm really proud to say that I got to be the toast of the town as a New Yorker before I was on Drag Race. Yes. And that felt really nice to be able to say, like, I was able to really rise. You know, Frank Sinatra says, if you can make it here, you can make it anywhere. And New York City really has that. Like, I can do anything. Yeah. Like, I lived in I lived in New York City for 12 years. There is no place in the world that could stop me. You know what I mean? Yes. I think a big part of it is you're surrounded by people who are extremely goal-oriented. Yep. Like, mm-hmm. people move to New York City to achieve their goals. No one moves to New York City for love. Everyone moves right. to New York City. Because they like, like, I feel like people move to other places because it might be easier to live there. Like someone might move, like there's a, a big thing of people moving from California. This is no shade, Lamira. No, I, 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 no I know what you're saying. I, it is easy. It's slow. Texas, there's I know what you're saying. a big thing of people moving from during the pandemic from California to Texas because it's cheaper, because mm-hmm. the taxes are, um, are, are less and because they can get more, more land for their buck. It's just, it's just easier to live in Texas it than is. it is to live in Los Angeles. And a lot of people did that. And that's, that's specifically why they're moving. They're not moving because because you know shit's popping in in fort da- in fort worth you know what I mean? right people aren't like people people aren't moving to odessa because it is uh like the <laughs> popping place to no, be it yeah. is slower and it's easier that is why yes. they're moving there coming. because they want a mansion oh yeah yeah they moved to slow defa because they want that mansion <laughs> popping off but people move to new york city because they want to achieve their goals this Fight the odds. Mm-hmm, you right. move to your city knowing the odds are not in your favor. You know that. You know that, especially if you're looking to work in entertainment or finance. Oh my gosh, the odds yeah. are not in your favor because everyone in New York City works in entertainment or they work in finance. Mm-hmm. Everyone. And there's a couple of nurses thrown in the mix. You know what I mean? Yep. If you're able to make it amongst all that madness, it really is a badge of honor. When did you know that you made it? I felt like I made it when I was nominated for, so there's something called the Glam Awards. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's New York City Nightlife Awards. And I got nominated for some Glam Awards. And I was like, wow, I'm, I'm really being recognized by my peers. Like, they, they see me as a big deal. You know, when I changed my name to Bob the Drag Queen, actually, one of the biggest moments was when I got a gig at Barracuda. So mm-hmm. Barracuda has this Monday night slot that was pretty legendary for a really long time. So this phenomenal queen named Candace Kane, who's a former Miss Continental She's a huge deal in New York City. She lives in LA now as well. She had this Monday night slot for 10 years. Wow. People would just be lined up out the door to see Candace Kane perform. She's so brilliant, so funny, so talented, so beautiful, so stunning. And then um, when she um, moved to LA, the gig was given to Peppermint. Peppermint did the gig for six years. So for 16 years, there were only two people working this gig. So Peppermint stepped down from the gig and it was time for someone new to take over and that is when I stepped in. Mm-hmm. I did it for three, three and a half, four years. So basically for 20 years, there were only three people working on Monday nights at Barracuda. So when wow. I when I when I got Peppermint slot, I remember thinking to myself, like, this is so I cannot believe I'm working Monday nights at Barracuda. This feels huge. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And the, the owner of the bar really believed in me. He also owns a bar called Industry in Hell's Kitchen. And Bob Ponsarelli, shout out to Bob Ponsarelli. He also owns a, a restaurant named Elmo in Chelsea. And when he like, you know, the weird spot between Chelsea and the West Village. Yeah. Yep. It's like 15th, 14th, like 15th, 16th Street. Anyway, when I got that gig, that was like a moment I was like, this is game is on. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. What did you do to celebrate? Did you live in the moment? Did it push you harder? Like, what was that moment like? 
Well, I was actually in the middle of this like fight with one of my uh, friends. So I, I had a gig at this bar called Excess that doesn't even exist anymore. That's that, by the way, that's another New York thing. New Yorkers love to walk around the city and point to buildings and say what they used to be. <laughs> yeah. New Yorkers love to tell you that that Starbucks used to be a so and so. New Yorkers love that shit. That's their. Mm, they love that. Mm, this used to be. A, this used to be a sex club, a sex store. Now it's a church. Yeah, You're reading um, all of us for film. <laughs> I was in the middle of this like big fight between my former best friend because we had a, a gig together called Sisters, and then I just kind of was like, we were arguing a lot, and I was like, I don't want to argue anymore, and I don't want to be a part of this, and I just want to, I want to go do my own thing. But I didn't have a gig lined up. I just, I just, it was. I've done it a lot of times in life. Where I was like. I don't, I don't have anything lined up, but I know this is toxic and it's not helping me. So I'm just, I'm done with it. And then once I got rid of that, I got this other gig. And then my friend thought that I quit the gig so I could get this gig at Barracuda, which by oh. the way, there's nothing wrong with that, by the way, there's nothing mm-hmm. wrong with that. Yeah. So I was like in the midst of this, like feeling guilty about succeeding moment in life. I wish I can go back and celebrate it more. We're trying to do a lot more of that, of celebrating in the moment, because I feel like we like you're saying, New York has such this, this hustle culture as well that it's yeah. so easy to go from one accomplishment to the next or like sit in failure versus celebrating success. So oh, yeah. hearing you say that kind of is perfect timing for us because we're trying to do more of that as we head into 2022. <laughs> also, to anyone to anyone listening, by the way, take more pictures. You will always wish you took more pictures. Me, I never, I always forget to take pictures. Take more pictures pictures you when you look back at the end at the end of your year at the end of the month even you're gonna be like man i wish i took pictures at that, at that thing don't you feel good when facebook is like five years ago you did this you're like oh i did no you don't like it amira let me tell you why <laughs> facebook memories has me effed up Facebook memories remind you the dumb shit you said like 11 years ago. Like, why was I messaging? I wish that airplanes would be a shooting. Why was I doing song lyrics at like, because like that was the at that age? <laughs> no, Facebook memories. I literally only go on Facebook to delete the memories and burn them. <laughs> Can we talk about one of the Nicki Minaj's best lyrics ever? <laughs> go ahead. It was in the song um, Out of My Mind with B.O.B. And oh, she, goes, um, she goes, um, she goes, I used to love that um, song. Air- he goes, airplanes and the night skies are like shooting stars. Well, you're going to really need a wish right now when my goons come through and start shooting stars. I was like, yes. oh, my God. This is br- it's brilliant. Yes. It's so good. I'm going to add that to my recent playlist. I haven't listened to that song in so long, so thank you. We can go to a whole other episode about the lyricist genius who is Nicki Minaj. Yeah, airplanes <laughs> and the night skies are like shooting stars. Well, you're going to really need a wish right now when my goons come through and start shooting stars. You know, I'm all about shoes and cars. I'm kind of drunk on a blue Bugatti. I told baby when I get my new advance, my brother motherfucker on a blue Bugatti. You know, I graduated summa cum laude. But I think I'm aluminum. Have you seen that clip online where they, where they go, are you a Nicki fan? And she goes, am I a Nicki fan? Yes. In the Sri Lanka, what? That is totally it. Am I a Nikki fan? <laughs> Am I a Nikki fan? <laughs> Pull up in the Sri Lanka, what? What? <laughs> Stay tuned because when we come back, Bob shares insight into their relationship and how they balance life and love. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. 
Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Bob, I want to ask you a little bit about, I haven't heard about it a lot, but Mm -hmm. things like racism and drag culture and you being a black queen, did you find it a little bit more challenging or you had to work twice as hard to be successful in the drag world as opposed to some of your non-black counterparts? I'm happy to announce that racism is dead. It's I'm kidding. Over. Could you imagine? It's Hold over. On. You guys believe Hold it? Yeah. You got you to check your Google alerts. Google's yeah. got a new alert. You got to check your Google alerts. No, racism is... So here's the thing. I don't know that I... I remember my mom telling me a long time ago that I, that I had to work twice as hard to get uh, the same thing as white people. And I never believed until I saw it in person. But I want to add to that. Not It's not just about working twice as hard. You really have to be like four times as good now what i'm about to say is no drag at anyone but i remember there was a moment where i was sitting there thinking to myself this is so crazy it was it was like i think two grammys ago lizzo was the most nominated artist of the year mm-hmm. and when i say lizzo is twerking she is playing the flute she is doing all these tours she is dancing she is doing, and has vocals she is singing she is rapping she is doing like at the grammys like three and four costume changes and then I remember, and this is no shade to her, but Billie Eilish walking through wearing like an oversized track suit and like green hair and like sweeping the night. Yeah. And Billie Eilish was like, I just like kind of made these songs in my basement with my brother, like whatever. And I remember like when it, when it came to like song of the year, out artist of the year, whatever, it cut to her and she was like, oh no, please don't let it be me. I don't want, I don't want to win. And then she went, she's like, oh, I won. It's whatever. Billie Eilish. Um, and, and seeing like how hard Lizzo was working that year and getting nominated the most, but still not winning the most. I remember being like, this is crazy. But those artists tend to acknowledge the fact that I was not as good as this other person over here. The fact that I won is crazy. I'm gonna take this, this Grammy, I'm gonna take this award, but I really don't deserve this. You're specifically mentioning Adele. Yeah. Adele yeah, will Adele's say, like, look, and I love Adele, but that was a moment that I was like, oh, girl. Adele's, Adele goes, I don't know if you, there's a famous quote of Adele where she goes, if you don't like Beyonce, you can't be in my life. Yeah. <laughs> okay, can I just tell you right now? That is actually how I feel because I say this often. Any friend who I'm like, they question Beyonce's like greatness or how hard she works, I know they're not going to be a good friend down the line. And I've always been right. No, it's true. Adele is right. If someone does not like uh, if someone doesn't like Beyonce, they're a hater. Yes, mm-hmm. and they're not going to want you to win. Like they're yeah. deep down inside their gut, they don't want to see you win because they can't handle it. Yeah, and I, I feel I, I also feel the same way about Adele. When someone's like, "I don't really like her," I'm like, "You're a hater." All right, it's a wrap. Yeah, Move on. Right You're a hater. Mm, <laughs> no, it's it's giving very much. I'm a hater. It's giving very much like I wish I was better. I think I can do better mm-hmm. because Adele is phenomenal. Beyonce is phenomenal. Yes, they're at the top of their game. And like hating the most popular thing is not a, um, that's not a personality trait. It's a human character. (laughs) That's the thing. People think it's a personality trait. It's not. (laughs) No, it it, it, it makes you a a villain. You're the hating ass villain, but not like a lovable villain. You're not like a Cruella, not like a Shigo. Like a villain I actually want to lose. Yeah, no. Yeah. Yeah. You're you're, you're a whack villain. You're not the Joker. (laughs) You're someone whack. You know what I mean? Yeah. Did you feel that in drag culture too, though? Like in the drag world when you were coming up? Anyone who doesn't like me is a hater. No, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> because I'm just undeniable. Speak on that. Yes. <laughs> um, you know, I- I'm very lucky to have received a lot of love in the drag world. In New York City, I got a lot of love. On Drag Race, I got a lot of love and I won the mm-hmm. show. I'm still a fan favorite. I'm still working to this day. Okay, I can have we my- just say, okay, we got to say, yes, you won the show. 
Yeah, I won RuPaul's Drag Race. You sure did. <laughs> yes, I just had I just had to I had to give it another moment. Okay, yes. <laughs> you know, I I'm the host of an Emmy nominated show on HBO. We have two seasons. Fingers crossed. Hopefully, we get a third season. And clearly, I've had a very lucky career. And I think it's, it's a combination of working really hard, being alive and around at the right time. There's a line from Gypsy where um, uh, Rose says, I was born too soon and started too late. I think about that all the time. And I was like, "That I'm so lucky that didn't happen to me. That line hit me really hard. I was, I was born too soon and I started too late. And I think about how lucky I am to be alive when I'm alive, especially as Black people. Bitch, I could have been born 200 years ago. It may not have made it. Do you ever think about that? I could have been born 200 years ago. I think about this actually very often. I could have been born 50 years ago. I could have been born 50 years before I was born and every everything would have been done had changed. You know what I mean? And then I think about little stuff like, I think I was to my crown, I was like, I'm so lucky. I get to be alive at the same time. As Mariah Carey. Oh! There are people who lived their entire lives and died and never heard Mariah Carey sing a single note. I cannot believe I get to be alive at the same time as this woman. This is, I'm breathing the same air she's breathing. (laughs) This is wild. I get to Mm -hmm. be on earth with Mariah Carey. How lucky are we? Mm Mm-hmm. I love that. I do have a question for you. I want to kind of get kind of your advice for someone. So basically, my best friend's little brother just performed in his first drag show on campus. He's a freshman. Gay. (laughs) (laughs) USC has never done anything like this before. So wonder for someone who might want to even like delve all the way in into the drag world. What piece of advice would you give for those young queens uh, coming up? You know, let me say there's a lot of competition. There's a lot more competition now than when I started doing drag. You know, I started doing drag uh, 12 years ago. There was a lot less drag queens then than there are now. And it's one of those things, if you're trying to do drag, I know someone who said they started doing drag to make money. And I'm like, what? Who does <laughs> drag to make money? Like, you will right. not be making money. Some people, not everyone, but some people will not be making money for the first couple of years. I mean, drag didn't start paying for itself for me until I had been doing it for like three years. And I just, but I was doing it because I just loved it it's just mm -hmm. so much fun i love doing drag and if you and if you if you love it you'll know like if you're doing it you're loving you're living your dreams you will know instantly i hate calling things mainstream because it feels so like whitewashed but as drag has like been i guess more the forefront more people know about it who aren't exactly in that space or in that bubble Mm -hmm. is there anything that you still think is like misunderstood about that world yeah, well, drag has kind of come to the forefront several times. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the past, um, I want to say 30 years, I will say both resurgences of drag have both been because of RuPaul. That's mm-hmm. crazy. Mm-hmm. Wow. That's huge. You know, when RuPaul hit the scene with Supermodel, people were like, this is insane. This is so crazy. And that sparked a big drag thing. Then you started seeing movies like Tootsie. You started seeing Tu Wong Fu. Like it all just kind of started snowballing. And RuPaul was in Tu Wong Fu. It was this, this huge thing. And I think because of how popular she was. And then, of course, she did RuPaul's Drag Race. And it kind of just got big again. It's just something people misunderstand. Yeah, I think that, you know, what you see on TV is not really how drag always is in the real world. That's mm-hmm. not always what drag is like. 
there's some stuff like there's this um this straight guy on the current season of Drag Race named Maddie Morphosis. He's a mm-hmm. white straight guy, cisgender white straight guy. People Been a lot like, of conversation around that. Oh, people are <laughs> yeah. gagging, and they're like, mm-hmm. "There's this this straight guy invading queer spaces." But if you yep. work in a if you ever worked in a gay bar, you know it's not that weird for straight people to work in gay bars. It's really not weird at all. I, 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 this is when I finally understood the phrase go touch grass means because people are living on the internet so long they start thinking that what they're hearing people echo is truth take care for someone who's worked in the bars for a long time maybe not super long but over a decade is enough skin in the game to say that yeah. I've, I've I'm not a vet but I've been around I'm, I'm, I'm a sophomore a junior yeah. maybe you know I mean? upperclassman <laughs> yeah I'm, I'm an upperclassman yeah and sometimes there are just straight DJs, straight go-go boys, straight bartenders, rarely, but sometimes straight drag queens just in the scene. And we kind of like, they don't get as much attention as Maddie Morphis is, is getting on this show. Like, we're like, oh, yeah, hey, fierce. And then you just keep moving. But it's not like everyone dedicates all their time <laughs> to yeah. this like outrage or, or whatever it is they're experiencing. Like, we, we just never gave them that much attention unless they were really fierce. Like in the nightlife scene, the fiercest ones are the ones who like rise to the top usually. Right. That makes sense. Well, you were really excited to talk to you about relationships because you're so open about a polyamorous relationship. And growing up, I'm Southern and I felt like I had to like go towards marriage. Can I say something real quick, Amira? Do you know? I don't know if you know this or not. I don't know if you know this. What? Do you know that only Texans consider Texas the South? Okay, when actually. You go to the South. Like, I'm from Georgia. I know. Like, that's the wild, wild West. Like, you guys are in, like, cowboy hats. Y'all are like, don't nobody enjoy to wear cowboy boots. We're not wearing no cowboy hats okay. and belt buckles. Okay, okay, let me tell you what happened. When I moved to New York, I got a little tussle because someone tried to say I wasn't from the South. And I was like, excuse me? And they tried to say Maryland was the South. I was like, if y'all, like... I don't understand. Below the Mason-Dixon line, honey. Yes, below, it's below the Mason-Dixon. Maryland is so northern. Those Yankees, whatever. I was, <laughs> yes. I get so, people try to drag me and say I'm not Southern. I get very hurt about it. And and I'm not here, I'm not here to say you're not no, Southern, but I'm saying <laughs> Southerners, I'm from, so what I considered the South growing up was Georgia, yeah. Alabama, Mississippi, Louisiana, mm-hmm. Louisiana North and South Carolina, agreed. Tennessee, Panhandle of Florida, even though those are really swamp people. Um, <laughs> not a, by the way, Florida is not the South. This is a very important See, distinction. It's so Florida, confusing. the peninsula is that is if you, you no one from Miami claims to be from the South. Yeah, that I told, is yeah, not a thing. That's true. Yep. Okay, so I think for a while, well, I mean, my whole life, I did not want to get married, and then I got scammed and fell in love. But I didn't even see polyamory as an option because I didn't like I didn't see it. It was ingrained with me that I would get married, and I fought so hard that I would like I just left the world of those kind of relationships. So mm-hmm. my question for you is like, when was the moment that you knew monogamy wasn't for you? Well, you know, I never really consider myself a romantic, and I really, I just, I never had a heart for one person, like never, not mm-hmm. once. I've never had a dream of like living with one person for the rest of my life. There was, there was, there was no turn that I remember. It's just always been kind of like I like a lot of people, and it's the same with friends. Like I don't have, I don't have one best friend. I don't, I mean, I have really close friends. I mean, I, I, Monet Exchange is one of my best friends in the whole world who I do a lot of work with, but I also have people like Peppermint, Mateo Lane, Nick Smith, um, Alfredo Solivan, um, my partners. I have lots of great, you know, friends that I talk to pretty often and they mean a lot to me. And I just never felt the need to pledge my allegiance to one person Mm -hmm. ever. 
And I, I also don't have a lot of history with dating anyway. I was just, you know, f-ing around for a long time. <laughs> and I didn't start dating until I was 30. I didn't have my first relationship until I was 31. Yeah, wow. Yeah, and we're still together. Yeah. By choice? By, by, yeah, we're, we're together. We're, no, no, by choice. We're together oh, by are, we, choice. are we together by choice? No, was I not dating by choice? Um, no, not always. Not always by choice. There were a few people I tried to date. It just didn't work out. And it just, you know, just the timing and the geography just weren't working out for whatever reason. And then when I met Jacob, it just worked out. And my second boyfriend is um, also some, I'm still dating my first two boyfriends, both of them. Mm, yeah, I love this. I love this so much. <laughs> and I think that polyamory is really remarkable because it allows you to, there's a thing with like monogamy that it feels like one, it's a lot of pressure for one person. <sighs> to be your yes. everything. To be, to be everything. Your everything. Yeah. To be like all the, that's too much. Like, yeah. Yeah. You know, you when you're polyamorous, you it's okay to get different things from different people. Right. Um, also, even even outside of just like sexuality, just like love. Like if you if you need someone who to be really tender, but they're just not a tender person, mm-hmm. but you need someone else to like provide for you, and they're a provider. Not I don't mean like like emotional providing and that kind of stuff. If you need the kind of person who would do those things, but it's just not in someone's character to do that, just take the things that someone is is able to do and relish in that and enjoy that versus trying to you know, change someone or convince them to do things that don't come naturally to them. Yeah. And it's so it's like literally the same way with friendships too. Like I have friends for every which part of my life. Like I know who to go to for career advice. I know who to look through when I need empathy. I know who to go to uh, when I need someone to just to cry with, you know, like it's, it's, I do not get the same things from all of my friends. So that makes complete sense. Exactly. And even in ter- and even with like sex stuff, I don't know what, what we're allowed to say on this podcast. Anything. But like if you, <laughs> let's say you have a lover who is like more passionate and that's their thing is like slow and passion, but you want a real rough thing, but that's just not their thing. They they yes. don't do rough thing, but there's someone over here who, who that's their specialty. They specialize in rough thing. Go to the rough for that and then go back to the passion when you want when you want the passion you know what i mean yes oh my god okay so you're taking us in a direction that we were actually really excited to go (laughs) with you about yes (laughs) well real quick i have a friend back in the day i had this fling this this is the the first guy that i like fell for but it didn't work out because he went back with his ex this guy he told me that he broke up with his boyfriend because he wouldn't eat his ass that was why they broke up mm-hmm. and, and and they and they were closed and he wouldn't he wouldn't do it mm-hmm. and he wouldn't let him go get it anywhere else mm-hmm. so he was like this is so you mean just for the rest of my life i just don't get that right and the guy was like yeah pretty much and he was like i'm leaving <laughs> i'm leaving yeah that makes sense yeah. to me i keep saying that makes sense but it's like to me it's like duh <laughs> like yeah. you are not f- you are not filling something that I need and you can't settle and you don't want me to go get it anywhere else and you don't want to try and you won't let me get it anywhere else so I'm out and it sounds like a sad life to settle for something that you want for your whole like what yeah why would I settle for the rule of time exactly and, and someone in the world will tell you oh it's crazy to leave because someone won't eat your ass like it's not that that's actually not what it boils down. It's, it's so much bigger than that it's just me wanting something that that makes that makes me feel good that i enjoy that i like mm-hmm. that's fun for me and you're just telling me i just never get to have it ever again just because you don't want to do it just because you don't want me to go get it for anyone else you're just saying that i'm the only one who can provide you happiness in this regard mm-hmm. that's wild to me right you were right. about to say something, Kurt, before I cut you off with the, with the um, no. with the anal ass conversation. <laughs> no, 
No, it's not, that that was even better. Also, I love that you call me Curb. I appreciate that because I feel like we're we're homies now. I appreciate it. But we did want to talk about the opposite end, like the ignorance of folks when it comes to stigmas around polyamorous relationships, when it comes to like surrounding promiscuity and sexual safety and kind of what your thoughts are on that stigma. How do we get away from that? Because a lot of it has to do with just ignorance and people not wanting to understand something that they necessarily don't practice. Yeah, I don't think we do need to get away from it. I think that we need to just, um, for example, someone's like, I'm not interested in trying to prove that I'm not promiscuous because I am. <laughs> and I don't care if you think I'm promiscuous. Mm-hmm. You know, one time we were, it was, we were on, this didn't make the air, but we were on We're Here, my show on HBO, my Emmy nominated hit show on HBO. Yeah, Emmy nomination, baby! <laughs> and we were, uh, we were like talking and at some point, Shangela was saying something. She, and she was talking about someone like, there was this girl on the show who's bi and there she was saying like, you know, and a lot of people uh, think that being queer is just about sex. Um, and, and it's, and it's, and it's about love. Yes. It's about love. And I said, and it doesn't have to be about love. Mm-hmm. If you want to have sex with someone who is the same sex as you, and it's just about sex, that is 100% valid. You, we don't need to justify our existence by by packaging it up into some nice, neat bow. Because straight people get to be mm-hmm. as nasty as they want. And they're, they're valid. <laughs> they can be Say as nasty as they want, and it's completely valid. Mm-hmm. I'm like, what people do? We don't need and to And it's celebrated. Yes. We don't need to sanitize our expression and our passion so that it's palatable for you. So yeah, there are some mm-hmm. people whose whose queerness, queer people are not a monolith. Yeah. Some people's queerness is about love. Some people's queerness is about being a nasty slut on pride. And yeah. that's, both of those are completely valid. <laughs> yep. That's okay. Mm-hmm. As long as you were in consenting experiences with other adults, there is nothing wrong with At that. All. As long as both of y'all are consenting. You know what I mean? Oh my God, I love the way you put that. We do not need to sanitize our experiences to be palatable to y'all. Yeah, exactly. Oh, I love that. <laughs> that was so good. Do you, well, you've kind of touched on this, about how you never felt the need to be one person. Was marriage ever a goal or option for you? Something that you wanted? That's so funny you mentioned. I, I used to, like, go to Times Square and fight for marriage equality every Sunday. I used to do this thing called Drag Queen Weddings for Equality mm-hmm. every single Saturday. I used to get dressed up like, wedding dresses and all this stuff. But I, I never was doing it because I actually wanted to get married. I was doing it because it just felt like something I should have and people like me should have access to Mm-hmm. I mean, so there are times where 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 marriage like passes through my brain as an as an idea, but I have two partners, so it's kind of difficult, you know. Mm-hmm. So yeah, the short answer is like I, I used to fight for marriage equality. The demonstrations that we used to do, we would pass out information so that people could find out about like you know inequalities experience being experienced in the queer community. But I never thought it was for me, and I still sure if it is because like i said i have two partners i don't even know what that looks like i don't even know what that looks like yeah but we love talking about kind of love and relationships and what it looks like for you on this podcast because there's so many outside factors and so many people that think they dictate or can dictate what your life is supposed to look like when their life is a whole hot mess so yeah let me try now this is something i tell people all the time you know whenever you get advice consider the source there's folks giving like you know who kevin samuels is oh my gosh talk about names we should be saying yeah <laughs> Don't ever, don't you ever in your life take relationship advice from someone who's single. Why the f*** would you take relationship advice from someone who's been divorced three times? Right? 
why would you listen to someone who's got three ex-wives, three full ex-wives out there who are like, no, 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 girl, do not, don't listen to this. Mm-hmm. Like, why would you listen? Like, why do you think this man knows what he's talking about? No, nope, Bob, this, I, I just watched an interview with you. What's that man, that kid's name? Ah. Oh. I forget. You had it on your YouTube channel. Oh, I didn't oh know the man's- Kristen Walker. Yeah. Oh, my God. He okay. can't even have yeah. a name on this podcast. Okay. I'm sorry. Don't even, Amira, don't. I'm not giving this man a platform on this here podcast. We'll just we'll just say Herschel Walker's son. Yeah, How about exactly. that? There you go. He is so he's such a, a garbage mess. Whatever I had um Herschel Walker's son on my show. Yeah. Um by the way, because he I, I it felt good because I was able to like call him out on all these things and not yeah. let him get away with it. When he's on his Instagram live, he could just say them and just walk away and it's done. Yeah. Yeah. But when I was there, I was like, no, we're gonna we're gonna backpedal and talk about what you just said and say why that that is wild. Yeah. Exactly. And there was there was some there were so many moments in the middle of that interview where you could see that he was that he was like it almost clicked. Like have you seen these things with um there's this thing where this funny thing on TikTok where they'll take um conservatives who are ranting and they get to this point where they where they almost yeah. make sense they'll, mm-hmm. they'll, they'll be like i don't want the government telling me what to do and we're like okay yeah. <laughs> and they're like and telling me i can't make a livable wage okay yeah. how am i supposed to make ends meet without this okay and they'll be like but f- we shouldn't raise the minimum wage i'm like all right you were so close it's close this. yes <laughs> Yes, we tried. That's all you could do is try. Yeah. But can I say, when you speak to people who are, like, on the opposite side, the way you spoke to Herschel's son was, like, so calm and respectful. To where when I was watching it, we were, like, in the midst of COVID, I was like, no! Like, he's done And yeah. I was, like, anger-fueled. And you still came from a place of, like, love. Well, he looks to excite people. He wants to get you mad. So I couldn't So I couldn't give him that satisfaction. Yeah. You did a really great job with that interview, by the way. Especially oh, just even you. all the knowledge. You threw his knowledge in his own face. So it is oh. what it is. We could literally keep going on with this conversation. And we have gone over our conversation time <laughs> with you. Fun. But you have so much going for you. Emmy nominated, RuPaul's Drag Race winner, like just a culture shaker, shaper, Mm -hmm. shifter, mover, all of the above. (laughs) So for someone who has had so much success already, and I'm going to say so young in your career, what's next for you? So, I mean, the next immediate thing I'm writing, I'm currently writing a book called Harriet Tubman Live in Concert. Wow. It is a, <laughs> it's a book about, it's a play that we're going to enter into a play. It's a, it's, it's kind of like, um, while Harriet Tubman was a suffragette and while she was a, uh, an abolitionist and while she was a scout for the U.S. military, she's also putting pen to paper, writing her opus magnum, this amazing hip hop album. So it's, it's called Harriet Tubman <laughs> Live in Concert. <laughs> Um, which I'm really, it's kind of like um, Hamilton meets Hedwig. Yes. But about Harriet, I'm really excited about that. And then fingers crossed for a season three of We're Here as well. So those are my current projects. And of course, I'm always doing Sibling Rivalry, my podcast, Money Exchange. We release two episodes every week. We do Sibling Watchery, which is where we review Paul's Drag Race. We do Sibling Advisory, where we do advice. And then Sibling Rivalry, where I just argue with my best friend. So much fun. We love it. <laughs> well, thank you. Thank you so much. We end every podcast the same way. So if you will fill in the blank, mm-hmm. my black is powerful because. Well, my black is powerful because it is not contingent on anything else. But this is where I have an opinion that maybe differs from a lot of other people. But like there was this conversation around. It was, it was like when Rachel Dolezal was out. Oh, God. Like 
that woman claiming to be black did not diminish my blackness in any way, shape, form, or fashion. Yep. It's like it's like white folks who want to wear box who want to wear box braids. I'm you don't look good, but it doesn't make me any less black. There are some people who feel like it, who feel like it does diminish their their experience. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying they're invalid, but I'm just saying my blackness is not contingent on anything or anyone else. Yeah. Yes. You know? Oh my God. Thank you so much for this conversation. This is so much fun. My pleasure. Thank you. It was absolutely my pleasure. We have to have you back. There's no questions about that. We are here for you. Please remember the table's ours because it's also yours. Oh, well, thank you. Thank you so much. The Table is Ours is produced by us, Kirby Dixon and Amira Lawali. This episode was also produced by Aisha Jordan and edited by Myron Kaplan. Our researcher is Emma Fredericks. Our supervising producer is McKamey Lynn, and our executive producers are Jesse Katz and Ted Butler. Subscribe, rate, and review wherever you get your podcasts. See you next week. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.